Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. And today we have on Russell Creed as our guest. Russell is a, a transformation coach. He is a liver transplant recipient survivor with an amazing story, an amazing story of of struggle, of triumph, of pain, of sorrow, but of happiness and joy and gratitude. So uh, his his story truly is amazing, how he overcame his situation and how he helps others overcome their situations and their struggles. So please listen and enjoy the the many nuggets of of information, the tools that we're given to help overcome struggles in our life, mainly as as men, and uh, putting ourselves in, in a place to where we can we can truly serve others and the ones that we love. Let's do it. Let's dive in. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Most valuable commodity I know of is information. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Either you're somebody or you're nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice. All right, Russell Creed, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate you being here. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We were just joking that uh, your last name being Creed, what a great match for our episode of Brothers Creed, of our podcast of Brothers Creed. So thanks for joining. Absolutely. I'm the, I am am a Brothers Creed, right? <laughs> there exactly. you go, the epitome of it. <laughs> You're an honorary member for sure. Yes. Awesome. Uh, well, I know, Russell, you've got... A, a, a very interesting background of uh, of things and a path that you've taken. I'd love if you maybe you could get us uh, just a little bit of, of history on yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know that when we had spoken prior, you talked about kind of reaching this age of, you know, 30, 35-ish, and then just kind of wondering, what's going on? And so I'd love to hear your backstory. I know that you had a, a, a brush with uh, a serious illness. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, so... Happy to share my story. I was one of those straight A students in high school and, you know, followed the path that was laid out for success, went on to college, um, did well there. And I, after college, got a job in the actuarial science field. Now, many people probably don't know what an actuary is. It's one of those bizarre, rare fields, but we use math and science or statistics to solve business problems. And back in the 90s, actuary was often the number one job on U.S. News and World Report. So being a high achiever, <laughs> I wanted to do the best. I was going to do the best job I could. And so I went after the best job. <clears throat> Thankfully, I was, I was good at mathematics. That's something I loved and enjoyed and was always good at it since I was uh, a small child. That was just one of my passions. <clears throat> one of those weird things that, you know, some <laughs> kids enjoy math. I was one of those. So I was, went off to college, got started an actuarial career. 
um, which is a, a challenging career. You have to take a lot of exams to become an actuary. So you use a lot, there's a lot of self-study along with while you're working full time to become an accredited actuary. It took me 10 years to work through that process of becoming wow. I have what is called an associate of the casualty actuary society. There's even one more level up you can go, but I, I found out I stopped along the way. <laughs> you figure this is far enough. <laughs> yes. But at that time, um, I had been married for many years, beautiful wife, uh, five children. So we had five children while I was studying for exams wow. and trying to manage that. I was running um, children's ministry in my local church, running a Cub Scout pack for my <laughs> boys, coaching T-ball, doing all the things, right? Wow. Um, that, sounds, that sounds familiar. Yes. Uh, we, <laughs> yes we've, we've, Ethan and I have both been there. <laughs> yeah. So I was at the the top of my career as a chief actuary in a, a local insurance company here. <clears throat> when I went in for a routine medical exam and learned that some of my blood work was out of line. And that started me on a journey to um, learn that I had a rare liver disease called primary sclerosing cholangitis. And we can talk more about that later. Um, but that was really a turning point in my life. Um, put me on the liver transplant list, which I was on for six years. My health was deteriorating. My ability to show up and lead a Cub Scout pack to lead the children's ministry. I had to give those things up because I no longer had the energy to do those things. So my identity had been wrapped up in all the stuff I was doing. And as I was started to go, um, you know, as my health deteriorated, and I started to give those things up. My identity became the sick, sick guy. <laughs> I'm the sick guy, oh, the man. guy that everyone's praying for in their yeah. community, right? <clears throat> Definitely not, not an identity I wanted. I embraced it though. What else do you do, right? You just keep going on. Um, I kept marching on, wanted to provide for my family. And despite my failing health, I still worked full time um, up until the very almost almost to the end. Thankfully, I was um, I was a recipient of a liver transplant, and that's what saved my life. But it was during my recovery period afterwards where I started to go back to the life I'd built before that I realized it wasn't a life that I really enjoyed, that I was doing all the things I thought I was supposed to be doing. I was doing all the things that society tells us leads to success, but somewhere along the line, I just put a face on and I was just going through the motion and I was doing all the things I would never share what was really going on. You know, I was playing a part. <clears throat> and after all the trauma that I went through, I didn't want to do that anymore. And it really came into this point of crisis. A lot of people call this the dark night of the soul, where I started to ask myself these questions. What is what is my point? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why did I just go through all this? And everyone around me kept saying, I went through it for a purpose, that I was saved for a purpose. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea what that was. And that was part of what just tore me apart. It's like, great, someone tell me what it is. I don't know. But it certainly isn't this getting in a car, driving an hour to the office, 
sitting in an office all day, yeah, driving an hour to get home, you know, doing things that felt empty and meaningless. Yep. How, if you don't mind me asking, how old yeah. were you uh, when when all of this uh, kind of started? To I guess the dominoes started to fall, right? And, right? Or how old were you when you had the transplant? So I was 39 when I got the diagnosis. Um, I was trying to be responsible and start my yearly checkups with my doctor. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I'm getting older. I should. A good thing I you should. did, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, it took six years. You said six years to get a, actually get a transplant. So good thing you started yeah, early. So, yeah. So um, I was. Yeah, yeah, it was six years on the transplant list. So around 46 when I, when I had the transplant, um, maybe a little younger, 45, something like that. And that was a, that was a long time of just surviving. Mm-hmm. I barely had the energy to get out of bed. Sometimes, um, I barely had the energy to get in the shower. In fact, I kind of stopped showering and would only take a bath once a week because I didn't have the energy to do, to do it. And I was just doing the bare minimum just to try and survive. So that was, that was a hard time, but that's, that's pretty common. It's 39, 40 is when this rare disease tends to emerge when, when it's discovered. Hmm. I think there's a lot of men probably in there. 30s and 40s that might even feel that way or feel like their world is falling apart and they don't have liver disease. Absolutely. And and so, you know, I, I can't even imagine that just the kind of the brutality of day in and day out trying to uh, survive for sure. Well, I've, I've seen a lot of men are in that place where it's it's maybe not quite so dire but they're quietly dying inside, right? They're just going through the motions. They're content with um, what they think they have to settle for. And they're no longer showing up fully, living fully and pursuing um, their dreams or or, um, trying to be that the best that they can be, right? They've just accepted the life that they've created. How do you... How do you identify that? Um, you know, what's 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 the metric there from being analytical? Is it is the metric happiness? Is it uh, peace of mind? Is it uh, when I get home from work? Or, you know, I think a lot of people, they get so into the motions that it just feels like you almost lose yourself. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not really happy. I'm not really sad. I'm not really, it's, I'm just literally just waking up, going to work, getting a, a routine, robot. And that's what I do. Yeah. Robot all day, every day. How do you identify that something's wrong? Yeah, that can be a challenge. And I know for me, it was a challenge and I, and I denied it. I quietly, I pretended like everything was fine. Um, what I, what I remember is there in those quiet moments, the little voice in my head would say, like, I'm just pretending or something's not right or this isn't right. So I think, how do you know? Well, I think you have to get quiet and you've got to listen to the internal voice. You got to get connected to that. 
to know. Um, and I think the, the barometer is fulfillment, right? Are you really living a life where you feel fulfilled? And that comes in, um, comes out through joy. Happiness is a byproduct of that. Happiness, I, I believe, is a, is a choice, right? You get to choose to be happy. But when you're living according to your purpose, when you're living a fulfilled life, um, happiness is often there. Mm-hmm. So you came off this this really low, low, low of of being basically just surviving here, and then you you get this transplant. I, I'm assuming that over probably a fairly quickly period of time, you're like starting to feel a million times better. But then that's when you're realizing like, oh, I went through all this and I got this liver for, ahead of someone else on the list, and now I feel like I'm just a robot. And, and you're starting to like evaluate some of these meanings, which I think a lot of us do anyway. Uh, but at that point, it was just so impactful because you had just gotten this new liver, just kind of revitalized your life. And you're like, is this what I'm spending my life on is driving into work for an hour, going through the motions every day, doing this sitting at a desk? So how did, is that an accurate description of how you felt? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, it was a pretty quick recovery physically, uh-huh. but the mental and emotional impact that came after that, uh, was life altering. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I was going back to, um, the same things before and wondering what it was worth, mm-hmm. why I was doing all this. It didn't seem like the life I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. So not only, you know, I think that this kind of gets into the next phase is that from there, you kind of got into like the, you had this realization about how I could get through this and you actually have become a personal coach or success coach or, or however you want to say it. I, I like the phrase success coach, uh, but <laughs> to help other guys who feel like they're in that same spot uh, and, and I, I, let's maybe hear that part of the story. Yeah. And I call it a transformational coach. Okay. Yeah. Same. Transforming <laughs> lives. There you go. Uh, what happened for me, I'll share my story a little bit. And, um, cause I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I started actually with a health program. So I ran in, I was doing like many guys do when they're kind of checking out, um, at home, I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across an ad that was for uh, fathers of my age in their 40s that were looking to get fit again so that they could stick around for their families. And I'd already seen my health kind of taking a similar path pre-transplant. I'm like, no way. I don't want to go th- through all of that again. Yeah, That was painful. There was, a, there was a whole lot that went through that. I don't want to do that again. Let's do something about it. And so... I started to get into this program and part of the program was actually about creative vision for why you're doing this and who you want to be at the end of this process. And it also, um, there was a little pamphlet that was part of the program that said, if you want to do it the best way you can, then you need to start these daily practices. And some of those practices were reading in the morning, starting a gratitude journal, uh, reminding yourself daily of why you're doing this and repeating this vision statement that you write out. Mm -hmm. Like these are are fundamental practices that really help you transform your life. But I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And so 
I, I did that. I was the high achiever. I wanted to do it the best possible way. Um, so I started doing all this stuff along with exercise and nutrition that comes along with any, any program. Right. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that really changed my, my mind and, and I put it as a mind because our mind really is the thing that needs to change uh, was this practice of gratitude. When I, when I found this program, I was in a place where I hated my life. I hated my wife. I hated my job. I kind of hated everything. Mm -hmm. And I was, and there was this, a lot of guilt associated with that too, because I'd been given the second chance. I had this opportunity and yet I wasn't grateful for it. And so here I was told you should practice gratitude every day. I'm like, <laughs> all right, whatever. <laughs> um, but this is the path. So I'm going to follow and listen. So I'd get up every morning and I'd write three things I was grateful for. And the first one every day was I'm grateful to be alive. I didn't feel grateful to be alive. I didn't think I was grateful to be alive, but I know I wanted to be grateful to be alive. So I wrote it every day. <laughs> and then I found a couple other things. I'd struggle to find them, but you know, I'd look out the window and, and there's a bird chirping. And so I'm grateful for the bird that's singing a song in the morning or something. Mm -hmm. And and so that was my practice. I started that practice <clears throat> along with repeating my my vision statement, which was I am lean, strong, and energetic. Nice. Even though I was right, that was my vision statement. Hey, short and simple. I like it. And I had a little more in terms of who I wanted to be and why okay, um, yeah. as an example for my family and so forth. But that was the core of it. Okay. Um, and then something clicked in me one day. I don't remember what caused it. Like many of these journeys are not just a one point and everything happens or it's, it's not a straight line. We go, we wiggle through oh, life, yeah. right? Yep. Um, but I had this realization that I'd been given a great opportunity to redefine who I was. Nobody had any expectations that I would be the same person as I was before because I just went through this massive life-altering event. Mm -hmm. So I, I started asking myself, who do I want to be? Before that, I was asking, who am I? I was lost in this philosophical search for who am I? But then I decided, you know what? I get to decide. Who do I want to be? And so I started writing a little more beyond I'm lean, strong, and energetic. And I would come up with something else I wanted to be. And so I started this practice of getting up every morning, writing out what I call my I am's. And I created this whole long list of things I wanted to be, mm -hmm. uh, my being, my identity. Now, I didn't realize that that was a standard practice in, in transformational work before, um, but it's what transformed my life. This practice of gratitude, uh -huh. and this daily ritual of deciding who I was and reinforcing. And it and it did transform my life. It changed my mind. And I saw the world in a different way. And I became a different person because of it. Excellent. And I, so, and that's kind of where you just changed that mindset. Because I know that now you still are an actuary, right? And you still go to work every day. So yes. in that sense, I don't know if other things have changed, but in that sense, 
you are still doing those same things you did before, but your mindset has totally changed so that you actually, so that you really do enjoy that work now. Is that, is that right? Yes. That's a, that's a huge component of it. I've also got very connected with who I am and what I'm about in the world and what my internal why is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, the, the job I have now, the corporate work that I do mm-hmm. is strongly connected to that why. And so, yeah, I show up, I'm doing very similar work that I did before. Yeah. I'm a very different person coming into that space and doing the work. Yeah. I love that. So, uh, I guess a question that, that I had too is in this process, in your experience, I mean, you have an amazing experience. How have, I guess, how has this experience helped you to support others? Have you run into other people that feel similar and that you can relate to and that you've helped them overcome similar obstacles in life? Um, you know, could you kind of tell us how, how, how this experience has not only changed you, but, uh, but helped you to change others or yeah. transform others, let's say. It's a great question. So there's a couple of ways that, um, I seem to, uh, interact with guys that really helps transform their lives. Um, not many people have been through the kind of experience I have been through, Right. But you do not have to go through an experience like that to have radical transformation in your life. The way I am able to connect is because it forced me to confront my own issues, my own, um, that that small voice that I was ignoring, right? And so uh, I think other men um, have been listening to that small voice and they know that things aren't right. And that there is, that it's time for a change. And so I can help, I help them cultivate that and work through some practices to help them transform their mind. Um, the other place where I seem to connect with guys is those that have lost connection with their purpose, or maybe never even knew their purpose in the first place. Mm-hmm. I, I believe we all have a purpose, and it's it's in some capacity, it's to serve our fellow man. And we live that out every day in some way or another. But unless you're strongly connected to it, it can seem like the things that you're doing aren't relevant. Or maybe you aren't intentionally doing the things that connect with your why and you get pulled in so many other directions. So helping men get connected to what their true purpose in life is really helps them live with intentionality. And it's it's a transformational exercise in itself. Yeah, I'm curious about that the last piece you just said there, and also something you said before about how your why is closely tied to, with the career that you're in, the work that you do. Uh, I'm curious, maybe if you can share with us how that is, or how how you can tie that. You know, sometimes you know I'm in analytics and I'm doing crunching numbers or writing code, and I'm like, man, this doesn't have to to do any, I don't even know if this is changing anything in the world. I'm just here in SQL, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, my why is really about helping others grow and develop Uh so that they can do the best they can, they be, so they can be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm at the core, I'm a teacher, I'm a mentor, 
um, I'm a leader. So in my organization, the analytics is a platform for me to engage with other people mm-hmm. where I'm really transforming other people and transforming the way we think about data mm-hmm. and how we utilize data. So I, I believe you can live your purpose out within any medium. It's not the how that matters as much as the why. Mm-hmm. And if you're, it's connected to, you know, if you can find that connection to your why, how you go about doing it, there's infinite possibilities, right? So it's, what do you enjoy doing? I enjoy numbers. I enjoy math. I enjoy the problem solving. Yeah. And it becomes the medium in which I interact with others and help them with their problem solving, with interpreting the statistics, looking at the data, how do we solve the problems? How do we come up with solutions? And I do that in a mentoring way. Yeah, that that's interesting. You know, basically, I almost think about it. The what your response just was there. It's almost like when when guys get together. Sometimes the best way to get to know their guys is just doing something together. And then Absolutely. by doing something by doing something together you get to know one another because that's the real purpose is to get to know one another. The something that you're doing maybe doesn't matter that much as long as you're engaged. Whereas kind of what you're saying is like, yeah, I go to work and that's just the something that I'm doing to really do the real thing that I want to do, which is help mentor, help lead people. And that's where your why comes in. Absolutely. That's it. Would it be safe to say that there's maybe like a, like a spectrum of happiness? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's men out there that have maybe figured it out a little bit earlier and they're, you know, in their thirties and they're just loving life, loving everything about it, loving everything that they're doing. Um, but, and then there's probably somebody, there's somebody in between and then there's somebody on kind of the far side where it feels like their whole entire earth is just crumbling, uh, before them. And so in, in your experience in working with people and, and, and kind of being that teacher, have you noticed this kind of spectrum or? Um, I think we're all at different places in the journey. And yes, that we, there is a spectrum of how we, we view things. So here's one of the things I've learned um, over the last several years is that we're all powerful creators. And what I mean by that is that we create our own experience. Not many of us know that we do that, that we are in control of how, of our experience of life. Let me explain that a little bit. Um, because the things that happen around us are just things that happen. They really have no meaning. We get to apply all the meaning to the life that's happening around us. And some of us choose to apply meanings that are filled with happiness and joy and serve us. And some of us choose to apply meanings that keep us holding us back. And there's a ton of things that happen out there in the world, right? Uh, We're hit with all kinds of stimuli. And um, each of those uniquely create an opportunity for us to create something around that. And so some things that may stimulate us to create something fantastic and good, 
that same experience may stimulate someone else to create a story that holds them back. Right. <clears throat> so we're we're in we're all on the spectrum somewhere with the things that are going on around us. And really the game here is recognizing that we we are the creator of that experience. Right. Two people can experience some, a very similar thing, like two, two, two guys that have the same job could lose their job on the same day. And one guy can walk out of the door going, now I've got a new opportunity to go find something I really want to be doing. And another, the same, you know, the second guy could walk out having the same experience going, oh my gosh, my life's crushed. Now what am I going to do? I have nothing to do. I'm going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. The experience that they, they have from that same thing that happened was all their creation. It's all in their power. It's all in their decision. I think someone, some people would refer to that as, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is kind of a maybe a, a devil's advocate point of view. Um, some would say, oh, that's just being an optimist. I, and then they would say, well, I'm a realist because I view things how they really are. How would you respond to, like, because how, how do you think that, is that a, is that valid or is that just like, well, you mean you say that you're a realist, but really you're just being harsh about certain things. Is there such thing as a realist versus an optimist or versus a pessimist when you're the one that chooses your own uh, feelings or the way you respond? Yeah. Those are some deep questions <laughs> to go into <laughs> and, and involve the nature of what is true. What is reality? <laughs> yeah. right? Are we ready to dive that deep? Um, <laughs> Uh, yes and yes, right? We we decide who we are and we create that experience. So someone can decide they're a, real, a, real, a realist mm -hmm. and what they experience is truly real. Mm -hmm. Someone can decide they're an optimist and they can, they can experience everything in an optimistic way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one's right or wrong. Yeah. Just are, right? And they create... The experience for someone and that drives the outcomes that they have in their life mm -hmm. it determines how they experience life again i mean neither one's right or wrong yeah yeah right what what if we get down to it um a lot of times we we automatically add story we are storytelling machines we're story making machines that's what our brain does mm -hmm. so you, it's very hard to get away from the story and you have to peel back all, all the layers to see what really, really happened. And a lot of times what really happened is pretty boring and doesn't have, have a lot of meaning to it. Yeah. Right? We add all that. Uh-huh. That's that's good. I like that. That's, that's a great answer to one of the deepest philosophical questions about truth that there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is truth, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we actually, uh, started recording, we, we were just kind of getting to know each other a little bit and we, we mentioned the word vulnerability. And so I, I kind of have a two part question, um, that, uh, maybe it, it'll be a little bit vulnerable. Um, but the first part of the question I'll ask, and then we can talk about it and then it'll lead into the second part. So how have you seen, uh, in, in your experience and working with, some of these men uh, that are struggling or you yourself, when you struggled, 
how have you seen that men cope with living what feels like a, a meaningless life? Um, you know, I think a lot of times men suffer silently to a certain extent. Uh, and sometimes people seek other things to numb the pain. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, f- for, for me, um, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which men try to numb the pain, whether it's um, through drugs or alcohol or pornography. Um, for me, it was busyness. As long as I'm busy doing things, then it's easy to ignore, right? I built all my identity on the things I was doing. So the more I could do, the better I was. And when it was all taken away from me, because I physically could not do anything anymore, that's when there were there the cracks started to show right and i i remember i remember being so sick where i could barely get out of bed and and just wondering what um whether it was worth me living right Mm -hmm. i had my identity so wrapped up in what i was doing and i forgot um that we're, we're about the being we're human beings for God's sake. We're not human doings. Right. <laughs> um, but it's so I'm for, a, for a lot of, I see that in a lot of men, right. That we get focused on just doing and doing and doing, and it shows up, um, a lot of times in that pursuit of achievement, pursuit of being your best. How can I find the maximum way I can utilize my time? <laughs> it's yeah. our most precious resource, and we want to give it all to all these activities. Um, and we don't take time for ourselves. That's what I've seen. A lot of men don't take time for themselves, mm-hmm. and they become the last um, the last item uh, on the punch the, list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, on the, on the yeah. to-do list, the, the, yeah. the last thing on the to-do list. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the vulnerability and that, that really kind of, I mean, that directly leads into the, the second part of that question is, you know, I think men's mental health is something that, that Jared and I've talked about a lot on the podcast and, 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 um, just kind of that mental fortitude and, and building it, um, starting from wherever you are. And and so I'll, I'll start this question uh, kind of with a, a story, a personal story that I have. Um, when I first graduated college, one of my first um, really kind of real jobs was uh, working on the, uh, the, the business and life insurance side of funeral homes and mortuaries. And so um, I, I was working with one of the, the largest funeral homes in the area where I lived, and there was a, a family at church uh, that was probably in their 60s, and they had a son that was probably in his mid-40s. He had a beautiful family, um, just wife, young kids that were probably you know, less than 12 years old. And um, 
he he was kind of living i think the experience that we have been talking about right he was was living what he felt i, I from what i understand uh to be kind of a meaningless life and just completely unfulfilled and um he he ended up starting to cope with that life and got into uh, first just became kind of this massive workaholic and then got into other addictions. Uh, gambling was something that he really got into gambling. Um, he got underwater on a lot of uh, debts and different things. And he got to that point uh, where he, he didn't, feel like there was any other way out than just not being alive and um he actually uh he he jumped off of a bridge and and committed suicide and uh that has always really stuck with me um kind of as a a young dad a young guy I was in my mid 20s just kind of starting life and it was a little bit scary um it was a little bit scary to look at, and so the the question is, and you kind of answered it a little bit in your in what you had said before, but in the depths of the the pain and suffering that that you were feeling, and that many other people feel, I'm sure, um, you know, you always have that, that 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 kind of feeling in the back of your mind of, is it really worth me living? Am I too much of a burden to those around me? You know. Is is my life really worth it? Um, how did you overcome that? Yeah, I I was very much there, and I do remember a day when I locked myself in the bedroom, and I had a gun in my hands, and was very much considering walking that path. What kept me from it that day um, was knowing that I would leave a young boy behind without a father. This was after my transplant. This was our youngest was probably five at the time. And I grew up without a father. My father left when I was three. I know the pain of not having a father figure around, not having a father to be there. Um, and I didn't want that for my son. I had four other kids, but I was focused on, <laughs> on, the, on the youngest at the time. Um, that's what stopped me that day. And knowing enough about life insurance to, that my family would not be provided for after, <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, but you're right. This is, this is, there's an epidemic of this and, the largest um, cause of death for men under 50 in our nation is suicide. Um, and it's a tragedy. And you're right that when men get disconnected from their purpose, when they are no longer feel like they're in control of their lives, um, when they're living and doing all the things that they think they're supposed to be doing, and it comes up empty, it's easy to fall into despair. It's easy to get to that place where 
feels like it's no longer worth it. I get it. I understand it. I've been there. Um, and so, I mean, if there's anyone listening to this that's there right now, all I, I can tell you is that it gets better. You, it, it can get better, right? You just, you got to hang in there and start doing some things to make a change and take control of your life and recognize that you have the power to create a life you want. But it takes time and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Thank you for sharing so, that. So let's, yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that is kind of the perfect segue away from something that's that that's vulnerable and deep into into tr- to transformation. What let's let's put on the tool belt and what are some things that that we can do at whatever whatever stage we're at in our life, whatever wherever we are on the spectrum of of suffering, let's call it. Um what are some some things that we can take away from this and do tonight or tomorrow or this week? I will tell you one of the most powerful tools in the tool belt, and it sounds a little trite, is gratitude. To start right where you are and find something you're grateful for. Um, it was the thing that transformed my life, and so I'm a big proponent of it. But there's lots of evidence out there beyond just my anecdotal story. Um, Harvard Business, you know, Harvard has done a lot of studies on gratitude. And it is truly something that changes the brain chemistry, how the brain works, how you start to see life. And so starting a practice of gratitude, and what does that look like? It looks like taking some time in the morning uh, to write down three things you're grateful for. And to take it past just the standard list, I'm grateful for my family, my friends, and my job, right? That's that's pretty typical when we think of gratitude. But to take it to the emotional level, why are you grateful for your family? Why are you grateful for your friends? Why are you grateful for that job that you might not like, right? Mm-hmm. And cultivate the feeling because the feeling is the key. We are feeling 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 beings. And we like to deny that. We like to think that you know we're, we can be um, logical and we can avoid those things and our emotions. But it's tapping into the emotions is where the power is. So that's my first thing. Start practicing gratitude. The second thing I would encourage is, is decide who you want to be. There's great power in decision and start to live that. So... Again, what does that look like? It starts by creating a vision of the life you really want to live and spend some time thinking about that, imagining it, creating it. Because we start by creating it here. Everything in our world has been started in the mind. Mm -hmm. You think of all the fantastic things you you have around you, (laughs) the opportunity for us to connect right now. That was someone's vision one time, right? And they, they created it in their mind before it ever showed up in the world. That's how the human technology works. We have to envision it and believe in it. And then we create it in our reality out here, whatever that that is. Mm-hmm. Right. And another another tool that we, we um, lean into a lot is what I call the emotional guidance system. <clears throat> our, 
our sounds emo- tact- it sounds tactical. <laughs> it is. It is because our emotions are a tool. Uh-huh. Um, they're a tool to guide us to when our brain is out of sync with what's really going on. We talked about this before. Our brain is a storytelling machine. It likes to spin stories all day long. You can't stop it from st- spinning stories. It's going to shoot th- thoughts and it just keeps shooting thoughts. But we like to grab on to certain thoughts and not all of those thoughts really help us. They're not really true. Um, they can lead us astray. And we think we're in control of it, but we really aren't. And I can give you an example. If I asked you right now to stop thinking, don't think, don't think at all. And if you're you're listening to me talking and thinking about what I'm thinking or what I'm saying, you're actually thinking. <laughs> can you do it? I can, I can think about not thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then you're thinking, right? Yeah. Right? We aren't really in control of all of that. We have influence over it, but all those thoughts, they're just part of the machinery. They're going off all the time. Mm-hmm. So what does the emotional guidance system tell us? When we're in a place where our emotions don't feel good, what that tells us is that we've grabbed on to some thinking that really isn't lined up with what's going on in the world. It's not lined up with reality. Mm-hmm. Right? So an example, you know, um, had a bad day. Something happened in the morning. It was like, this is a bad day. And how do you feel when it's a bad day? It feels crummy, right? Right? But that's just our thoughts. We've assigned the bad day to it. And so what do we do? We go out throughout the day, and every little thing that happens just continues to compound on that evidence that it's a bad day. Maybe no different than the day before yeah. and all the things that happen. But today's a bad day because I decided it's a bad day, mm-hmm. right? And we feel bad about it. The emotional guidance system is saying, hey, buddy, (laughs) that thought isn't really true. Wake up. You can change it and do something about it. Right. And when we're having we feel good, those are good emotions. We're more aligned with the reality. Right. Our natural state of being is beings at peace, at ease. That is how the human operating system was designed to work. But most of the time, we're anxious, um, we're, we're triggering um, our flight or fear response in our body, right? And we're feeling all those, those anxiety-type feelings. Mm-hmm. The emotional guidance system is right aligned with our, our physical um, neurological system. There's only two states of being, right? We're either in a sympathetic nervous system state or a parasympathetic nervous system state. We're either in rest and digest or we're in um, fight and flight mode. And we go back and forth between all those. When we're in fight and flight, all these um, hormones and and, all this stuff's going off in our body and it can shut down our brain capacity. But we're in in rest and digest state of being we have access to all the things we have access to our resourcefulness our intelligence or creativity. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do is I like to call those the powerful state because that's when I'm in my power mm-hmm. and the primal state. That's when the defense mechanisms are taking over 
and running the show. And it's not really me who's behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. So the name of the game is using the emotional guidance system to stay as much as possible in the powerful state. And we're going to go back and forth. Neither one's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Neither one's good or bad. They just are. And that's how, how we operate. But paying attention to our emotions is the guidance system that lets us know when we're in a primal state and we're not really running optimally mm-hmm. or when we're in a powerful state and we are running in our optimal state of being. Excellent. I know this is kind of an abridged version of all this because you teach this uh, as a transformation coach, uh, one-on-one with, with clients. And, and I think, you know, probably to groups of, of, of men and do you do men, just men or do you do men and women? I, I primarily work with men. Okay. Um, cause my, it's simply because of my experience yeah. is the experience of a man. So yeah. it's easier to relate. Um, and I do one-on-one work, but I also do a group work. I do group work and, and I run a program called master your fate mm-hmm. program where we really go in depth into all these technologies um, how to manage, how to master your mind, how to master your emotions, how do you master your being or your identity? We talk about um, six uh, sources of power that we can tap into to really create the life we want. And we practice these technologies mm-hmm. so that we get good at them. Excellent. You know, I, I think all this stuff is so powerful. And, you know, I think there's been times that you and I are similar, Russell, in, in a previous conversation that we've had that you and I are both multi-passionate individuals. So yeah. I have passions for a, a lot of different things. You know, I, I go to work and I'm very analytical and, and like uh, I like things to be neat and orderly and, you know, the, the mathematics of that or just the neatness of my code. Uh, but then I like to do physical things. So sometimes I'm sitting in my office and like, man, I would do anything to just be outside working with my hands right now. Uh, and then I go do jujitsu in the evenings. And then I'm like, man, I would do anything to, I want to do something creative. Uh, and then so I come and do the podcast and I edit the podcast and I do audio and visual video and stuff like that. And then, uh, but in one of your comments earlier, you said that you were just doing, 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 doing so much that you were like hiding your feelings. And so that got me thinking, and I'm like, man, I do so much because I feel like I just want, there's so many things. Like life is so, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether I have one mentality that's like, there's so many wonderful things to do in this world that I just want to do everything. Or am I really just doing so many things to just keep busy? Because I feel like if I don't do that, that I'm like wasting my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is where the subtle difference is, right? That you have to pay attention to. It's the doing of the stuff isn't isn't the issue. Mm-hmm. It's the why you're doing it mm-hmm. that matters. And if you're doing it from a place of inspiration and curiosity and just wanting to explore the world, you're in a powerful place. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it from a place of I'm supposed to, this is how, you know, I, I don't have a choice. I, I need to do these things. You're coming at it from a place where you aren't empowered, mm-hmm. where you're actually doing it out of uh, some sort of fear. Yeah. And you're operating in this primal state. So it's, it's that subtlety that you yeah. have to pay attention to because it's not what's going on in the, the physical world, those activities. 
it's really what's going on in the internal world mm-hmm. that determines it all. Yeah, so true. Right, I, I'm like you now. I do all those things again, <laughs> but I come at it from a very different place. Uh-huh. You know, like I work in the corporate world. Um, I run a coaching business. I'm doing karate. I don't do jujitsu. I'm too old. My joints can't handle it. <laughs> but I, I do karate, uh, which is a passion I had when I was younger. And I gave it up because I thought I was supposed to sacrifice the things I like to doing so I could provide for my family, right? Uh-huh. It was this narrative that I had created for myself that to be a good man meant I had to sacrifice all the things I wanted to do to provide for my family. Yeah. That was the definition of a good man. And I got it to the point where I basically was ready to sacrifice my body, mm-hmm. right? I see that now as I step back from it, that that was the program that I had created for my life and yeah. probably manifested this disease so that I could do the ultimate thing, which was sacrifice myself for my family. Hmm. But I didn't listen to the emotional guidance system that was going, hey, buddy, that doesn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. That's not why. That's not what you're here for. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Ethan, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was I was talking with a guy uh, the other day, and we're talking about life and and um, you know he was kind of ta- he was kind of towards maybe the end of his career and kind of retirement and and uh, his kids were older and out of the house and 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 <clears throat> I have four kids that are eight and under and. Um, I was talking to him and we were talking about things that we enjoy and I was telling him about the podcast and I was telling him about different things that, that I like to do and hobbies. And he was like, Oh man, you know, in my life it was have a kid, lose a hobby. You know, that, that that's how it is. Have a kid, lose a hobby. And I was just like, you know, I, I didn't particularly like that uh, because I understand there's only so much time in the world uh, or, or in the day. Um, but I, I think it is so important um, to to do things that help help you center yourself. Um, Absolutely. And and it kind of I really like what you said that it's not what you're doing; it's why you're doing it. You know, it could be it could be crocheting or jujitsu or karate or you know BB stacking, whatever it is. It doesn't <laughs> matter. But is the why are you doing it? And if you're doing it because it centers you, because you enjoy it, then then you'll make time for it. And and if you're doing it to, you know, if maybe the reason why you're doing it is not for that reason, then yeah, you can cut it out. Um, but it, it's important to to find uh, find things that you like doing. Absolutely. And it's when we don't that that's when we're putting ourselves at the bottom of the list. And ultimately, uh, when you do those things, you show up better for your kids. Because you're Absolutely. taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the uh, secret here is that actually when you, you take care of yourself first, you have plenty to give to those around you. But when you give to everyone else first, eventually the cup runs out and, mm-hmm. and you feel empty. You end up in this place where you get, um, um, where you feel bitterness, right. And resentment towards those around you that you're, you supposedly love, but mm-hmm. they're taking all this from you. They aren't taking it from you. You're giving it away. 
and ultimately you give yourself away. Yeah. Yeah. It's like on the airplane, you got to put your own oxygen mask on before you put somebody else's on. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Russell, we're, we're kind of up on time here, but I wanted to end with our, our creed question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, a creed is a set of beliefs or aims that guides one that one's actions. That uh, could be a personal mantra or a quote or some life advice. You've given us a lot of life advice already, but uh, is there anything that you'd like to share with us as far as uh, a piece of your own personal creed? Yeah. So one piece that I, I keep coming back to, and it becomes sort of the a barometer for, for helping me guide my thinking is that life is always working for me. It's always working for my greatest good, my greatest growth, my greatest evolution. And when I lose sight of that, um, that's when I've gone off the rails a bit. And so I'm going to get back to the point of gratitude, right? If I, if I fall into a place where I think things aren't working out for me, where life isn't, isn't great or whatever, my, my quickest tool to shift me is get back to gratitude in this situation. How is this working out for me and what can I be grateful for? And it'll, it'll turn your life around quickly. So that's that's my that's my uh, one piece that I'll share is that life is always working for you, for your greatest good, your greatest growth, and your greatest evolution. Excellent. And if you want me to boggle your mind, yeah, yes, please. About the fact that it's doing that for every single person in the world at the same time. Oh, it's imagine almost like what so, we can. It's almost like someone's got our backs. Achieve. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, it's like somebody's got our backs. I like that, Jerry. <laughs> yes all the time. That's excellent. Well, Russell, this has been such a pleasure having you on. I, I think I'm going to have to go back and listen, re-listen to this episode at least a couple times to just really seeking in all the gems that you've talked about. Uh, lots of stuff that me and Ethan have talked about on the, on the podcast over and over again. Attitude of gratitude, uh, you know, that vision statement, writing in your journals, the, the I am's, uh, we've, you know, that morning routine and just being intentional about the things that you do. Uh, this is, you know, it's right in line with all the stuff we talk about. So we absolutely love this. Now, where can our, uh, listeners f- find you? Uh, what's maybe what your website is and, and what's your, I know you're on Instagram. Yeah, right? If you want to learn more about my coaching business, you can find it at the Invictus life.com Invictus, uh, means unconquerable. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Russell Creed and on Instagram at Russell Creed or LinkedIn. Uh, at Russell Creed. And um, I have a Facebook group called the Unconquerable Man mm-hmm. group. Um, welcome to to reach out and join that. And we have some real discussions. We, we tell dad jokes. So we do, <laughs> you know, other things, um, just keeping it real uh, within that, that closed Facebook community. Excellent. And we'll definitely put those links in the show notes, as well as we'll tag in Instagram, uh, the post that we post on Instagram. So we'll post some stories and some, we usually post the, the cover art for the episode there as well. So, uh, thank you so much, Russell. It's been a pleasure having you today and, uh, hopefully the audience can get some great stuff out of this. I, I know I have, and, uh, let's go ahead and build our creed together. All right. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Russell.